So stand to your feet as we go to Nehemiah chapter 3. Now I'm going to do something. Um, I, I saw my man Mark do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to read this whole chapter because we're going to get through the whole chapter today. And, and um, amen. I know it's a historic moment. It's a historic <laughs> moment that Epiphany Fellowship is going to do today. Is we're going to get through an entire chapter because the thought, it wouldn't make sense to break this up. So bear with me. But the reason why I'm doing this is because 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 said all scripture is inspired by God. So I want to respect, even through the names that are going to be a monstrosity struggle, and you'll say pastor has no education at all as he's reading, I want you to know that I'm just respecting the fact that this was written for a reason. Amen. Um, chapter 3 of Nehemiah, reading from the ESV. That's our church translation. Um, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priest, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the towers of Hananel, and next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, uh, Zakor, the son of Emery built, the sons of Hesena uh, uh, built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, uh, Meshulam, uh, the son of Berechiah, son of Mesh Meshabel, I got it, report, uh, re rebuilt. And next to um, Zadok, the son of Bana, repaired. And next to them, the Tequites rebuilt, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Joiada, the son of Pasiach, and Meshulam, the son of Besodea, repaired the gate. Uh, Yeshana, they laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars, and next to them repaired Malatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Maranonthite. Uh, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Ezio, the son of Harahiah, uh, uh, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. And next, and 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 uh, and they restored um, Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur, a ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Heramath. Uh, repaired opposite his house, and next to him, Hattush, the son of Heshab uh, Naya, uh, repaired. Mal, uh, Malkajah, the son of uh, Harem, and Hashhub, the son of uh, Pahath Moab, repaired. Another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Next to him, Shulam, the son of Helohesh, a uh, ruler of the half district of Jerusalem, repaired, and he and his daughters. Uh, Hanan, the, and the inhabitants of Zenoa repaired the valley gate. They built it and set its doors. Keep tracking with me, baby. Its bolts and its bars. And it repaired uh, a, a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Uh, Melkaja, the son of Rechab, uh, ruler of the district of Beth Hekahurim, uh, re repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And Shulam, the son of Kolhezeh, a ruler of the district of Mizpah, rule, uh, repaired the fountain gate. 
he rebuilt and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and he rebuilt the wall of the pool of Shalab and the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, not Nehemiah that wrote this, the son of Asbuk, ruler of the half-district of Bethzor, repaired to the point of the opposite of the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Benai, uh, next to him, Heshbiah, ruler of the half-district of Kela, uh, re repaired for his district. After him, their brothers repaired Bavai, the son of Henadad, repaired, I mean, ruler of the half-district of Kelai. Next to him, Ezra, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section op opposite the descent to the armory of the buttress. After him, Barak, the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, uh, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hezaz, uh, I mean, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib at the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, uh, Benjamin, the son of Heshub, repaired opposite their house. After, their, after them, Azariah, the son of Maseah, son of um, Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. After him, uh, Benui, the son of Henadad, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress. And the corner of Halal, the son of Azai, uh, repaired opposite the buttress and the tower protecting the upper house from the king and the court guard after him, Padiah, the son of Parash, and the temple servants living in Ophel, repaired to the point opposite the water gate on the east and the projecting tower. After him, the Torquoites uh, repaired, uh, uh, repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower uh, as far as the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emmer, repaired opposite his own house. After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shekaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Sh uh, Shalamiah, and Hanun, the sixth son of Za uh, Zal uh, Zalaf, uh, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After Malkajah, uh, uh, Malka one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants uh, and the, of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner and between the upper chamber and the corner, the sheep gate, the goldsmiths, and the merchants repaired. Amen. Amen, we got through. Y'all should give God a hand praise for his word anyway. See, I know y'all looking at this funny, but give him a hand praise for his word. Amen, sit down, sit down, sit down, have a seat to the glory of God. Well, we got through it, right? Now time to preach it. It's interesting that um, for me, I, I had to go back to seminary last week and go take out my books on narrative interpretation because I wanted to make sure that I was having some exegetical connectivity that made me not add to the text something that wasn't in it. So it was a, it was, it was a great time because I am a hermeneutics nerd, and so I am a Bible geek, and so I enjoyed my time in it. But I wanted the refreshing power of the Spirit to come through in what God was saying here in this passage. And in this passage, it's very, very important because it's not a genealogy, even though it has rela family relations here. 
It, it's a very important passage because it talks about the functional act of the people of God committing themselves in unity to build. And in them committing themselves in this unity to build, we see that God has graced Nehemiah as we have been trekking in our series, Rebuilt to Build, as we see that God has been at work among the people of God to help them to get what he called them to get done. And so what I want to do in this text is I want to extract some rebuilding principles. I want to look at God's providence among his people. God's name isn't mentioned once in this passage. But I would say he's deeply involved and connected to every single thing going on in this passage. And so we want to kind of look at how God, what does it look like for the good hand of God to be on something when he appoints his people to be a part of his rebuild initiative? Are you trekking with me? And so, and so I got like four or five points. I can't remember how many. But I, I, I want to comprise, I got a lot of information, but I'm going to try to condense it to the glory of Jesus Christ so that we can get some understanding, get some principles, see Jesus here. How many know you, we need to see Jesus in the text? Um, you can't hear a sermon and Jesus' name doesn't come up. Amen, somebody. But then also, um, we, when we give principles uh, for people to do, we must recognize that they need the gospel to execute it. So now we're going to find out where in here and where in the world and how does the gospel reflect. And so as we talk about this, I want us to, I don't want you to feel beat up because we're going, I want to really, I feel a, a very strong passion from the scriptures to challenge us. I know the last few weeks have been a little rough, but it's the Bible, not me. And, and, and I've been, and it's been rough on me too because I, I want to call us up as we get called out. Uh, because now we need uh, to recognize that God doesn't do his work separate from the people that he uses to do his work. Wish I had some help right there. Uh, uh, so we're going to see in this passage that God uses human hands to build. And not just human hands in general, but yours. And so, and so as we go through this series, Rebuilt to Build, I want to I wanna just tag this text, if I can, um, uh, a God rebuilding through human hands. God rebuilding through human hands. We're in chapter 3 where they are now functionally building uh, the walls that would put up protection for the people of God where they can rebuild the city and develop the city from the inside out. And we know that biblically, a city is always bigger biblically than the, uh, than the actual bricks and mortar and stones that go into the building of that city. But we know that based on Matthew chapter 5, that Jesus said uh, that the people of God are a city. So we're looking at the fact that we are a city within a city. Say, I am a, a, a city within a city. I wasn't going to say I am somebody. I wasn't going to do that. But uh, um, even though through Christ you are. But, 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 but a city within a city. So we see here a beautiful principle in verse 1 that I would like to see and extract. To get, and it sets, verse 1 sets the tone for the entire gateway into the passage. Um, verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Then Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. That is, that is a very important verse, which brings us to our first point. If we're going to rebuild, uh, uh, if we're going to rebuild uh, or, or, or rebuild through 
human hands, God rebuilding through human hands, the first thing you must recognize is that God rebuilds through servant leadership. God rebuilds through servant leadership. It's right there in the text. Right there, Eliashab is interesting that the high priest is the first person mentioned in the passage as the one re- helping to rebuild the wall. He didn't, he didn't mention someone else, some, some, uh, some merchants, or he didn't mention the merchants yet. He didn't mention the politicians yet, but he mentioned the spiritual leaders that were involved with the process in setting the tone for how the work was being done. Uh, 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 and, 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 what, and what they viewed, they viewed the high nature of their role, because this is the high priest. This doesn't, isn't just the Levites. This doesn't, isn't what, you know, the, the choir member Levites and all of those who would light incense. This wasn't just priests in general, but this is the guy who would go in every single year on the Yom Kippur Day of Atonement and have a string tied around him, and he'd have all his fly tassels on and his hat looking nice-like, and then he'd go from the outer court, scared, shook to death, and you'd hear the bells. You hear the because he had bells on his outfit. You know what I'm saying? So he walking in and everybody praying. You know in Hebrew, Israel and and they're just praying as he's going through. And as he's walking through, he's jingle, 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 jingle. Now they wanted to make sure while he was in there the whole time they heard the jingle, jingle, jingle. Because if something didn't go right, then you hear jingle, and they'd be like, High priest, High priest, yo. Then they just drag them out because ain't nobody going in because they'll end up the same way. So this person with this very, very high role that's responsible for mediating, uh, bringing the people before God, is the one that first puts his hand to the plow. And, and that's very, very important in our culture is that we recognize leadership from a servant's standpoint, not merely an exaltational standpoint. See, many people, many, many people want to be up front. They want to be the voice, but they don't know that they don't know what it takes to get their hands dirty. And see, you can't you can't lead by telling people to lead. You got to lead by example. I wish I had some help. Uh, um, the, our definition of leadership based on the gospel is taking the initiative for the benefit of others, taking the initiative for the benefit of of others. That means that leadership recognizes that the reason why they exist is for the benefit of others. Now, if you keep reading in that passage, you'll see that his brothers, the priests, joined him. So also the other spiritual leaders who were responsible for teaching, who were responsible uh, for for, uh, transcribing Tanakh, who were uh, uh, responsible for teaching Israel, shepherding Israel, um, taking the uh, sacrifices of peace and thanksgiving and sin offerings, and, 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 and dealing, even though that was a very, very dirty job, it was viewed as a beautiful and glorious job because it dealt with how God's people related to the living God. But yet you see them recognizing that their spiritual leadership has very, very practical impact on setting the tone for the community. And so, to, and so what we need to begin to do is we need to recognize that philosophy as setting the tone for how building takes place because God does rebuild through servant leaders. We see the ultimate servant leader being Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in John 13, uh, verses 1 through 13, uh, 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 does something that was unashamedly crazy. I don't know if it was raining outside, but I know that it was dirty all the time and dusty all the time. Um, uh, uh, Where they lived uh, felt like a consistent uh, construction project because it was dusty everywhere. And so people either were barefooted or they wore sandals. 
But what's interesting is that while they were, it, Jesus is about to enter what's called the upper room discourse section of the scriptures. Y'all still trekking with me? And he's, and, 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 and as everybody's feet are dirty, he knows he's about to give some information to the people. But before he gives information to them, he puts on the servant's robe. He takes off his rabbinic garb. He puts on a servant garb, the lowest person in the house. And he bends over and begins to wash the feet of the people of God. He begins to wipe the toe jam from under their toenails and wash the toe jam in between. He wanted to cleanse their feet as a position of making sure that he knows that if their feet are right, everything about them will be right. In other words, a servant wants to make sure that the people that they serve walk out what's being taught. And so what he did was he prepared them to walk that out. And so right now, because when a, when a leader serves, listen, it motivates the people being led to serve. And so here in this passage, we see uh, 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 the, the, the priest taking this posture and disposition by setting the tone for what it looks like for a city to re be rebuilt. What if all the spiritual leaders in Philadelphia uh, 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 took off their titles and took and, and marked off their title on the marquee of the ministry and, 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 and stopped taking a, a bunch of offerings from everybody for their own purposes and having a bunch of personal and, and begin to say, listen, we are going to de-exalt ourselves. I wish I had some help and, 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 and begin to work in a sense of servitude. Uh, take on the responsibility of actually loving and helping to transform people on a practical level. You can impact, you can impress people from afar, but you can impact them from up close. And so, and so God is calling us, God is calling us to be a servant leadership community. How do I know that? Because first Peter, the second chapter verses nine through the end calls us a royal priesthood. That means that a priesthood is not only a specific special ops team within the body of Christ, but the, but, the, but the royal priesthood is a community of people who are royalty after the order of Melchizedek, a.k.a. the order of Jesus Christ. And what we're called to do is we are called to be a comprehensive servant-leading community. Because why are we the servant-leading community? Because the church are the servant leaders of the city. We're the servant leaders of the city, and so because of that, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a rich importance for us to look at our role in our city, what God has sent us as this city, within the city, uh, to begin to work through and restore. I like the fact that Eliashub's name means God restores. It means may God refresh. It means God leads back. What a way to open up the passage. To, 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 for God to use the meaning of that name to talk about what he wants to do among his people. And so, and so, um, and so my prayer is, is that we would be a bestial community of servant leaders who reflects and honors that. But we need servant leadership, not selfish leadership. We need servant leadership. I'm still in the text versus servant leadership. He says, right, it, it, I, I like the way um, Alexander Strauss puts it in his book on biblical eldership. It says one seeks control to control people, the other seeks to serve people. One promotes self, but the other prostrates him or herself. One seeks prestige and position, but the other lifts up the lowly and the despised. 
If you remember throughout this book and throughout section of chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, you remember when Sambalat, Tobiah, and Gershom began to, uh, uh, Jeshem, uh, began to uh, sneer and jeer and despise the work of God among God's people. In other words, they weren't servant leaders. They were selfish leaders. And the reason why they were up on some major hater raid is because now um, um, they were going to lose their positions because they didn't posture themselves before God's people. And see, when you, but see, people that are concerned about position, when you begin doing things for the actual people that God placed you there for, what will begin to happen is they'll be on major haterade ministry. And that major haterade will look, they'll try to find something wrong because they want position, but they don't want the posture. And so what God is calling us to is be a community of posturers that's not trying to be glorified and honored and getting in, in articles uh, in Philadelphia Inquirer, but by us being appointed and put there by the very reason that he put us there. Why did they hate on him? The Bible says in chapter 2 that they hated him because he sought the welfare of the people. Um, and when you, like we said last time, when you seek the welfare of the people, what begins to happen is it messes up the system of control. Ah, oh, man, I got to move on. But servant leadership is so important for the people of God to be able to have. Dr. Perkins, who's coming to speak at Thrive next year, our conference next year, um, probably the modern-day father, uh, uh, Crawford Ritz called him the modern-day father of urban ministry. As he talks about this principle of leadership, uh, uh, servant leadership from uh, 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 Nehemiah in his book, his historic book on restoring at-risk communities, he says leaders, servant leaders are the glue, the stabilizing glue that holds communities together. It says leaders see the essence of their historic situation, take responsibility, go to the problem level, and make the sacrifice sacrifice, sacrifice necessary for a solution. Let me just give a sidebar for those of you who want to plant churches and be in ministry. Some of y'all think that it's about coming up and preaching on Sunday morning. This is just for free. This is a sidebar for those who want to be in ministry. You think you want to be on podcasts and you want to go here and there and preach, but that's probably about 15 to 20 percent of what you do is preaching. Um, the, the, it's more massive than that. Serving people is more than just getting on your soapbox once a week. And so, and, so, and so if I can help you out, don't come into ministry if you just want to floss. But if you want to serve, do it well. If you want to serve, get at it. Don't wait for an opportunity for me to give you an opportunity to preach or to teach. Get to work because I'm never going to let you do nothing unless you position yourself as a servant. Don't send me an email. Don't send me a Facebook. Get to work. I wish I had some help. I'm not angry. I'm just trying to help you out. You got to grow up. And some many of you come to me because you want exaltation. But exaltation comes first from humiliation. I'm alone up here. I'm alone up here. So you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have to get your grown man on and become a servant leader. And, and if you're not a servant leader, you will not plant through Epiphany Fellowship. You will not preach at Epiphany Fellowship. You will not teach at Epiphany Fellowship. The elders will never lay their hands on your body because you have positioned yourself as a hireling versus walking in humility. So I'm going to move on, but I just want to help you out. If you want biblical eldership, you got to walk in, walk in the humility and brokenness of the elderly. And so there is going to have to be a servant. I don't want you to just be a servant and just, I want, your heart needs to be postured. Your soul needs to be postured. Uh, 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 and I just want you to know, most of the anointing, and I'm going to use that word, that comes from your preaching, comes from your hands being broken on people. 
And so, and so this, this beginning is a servant leadership piece. I, 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 I never want to become the point where I'm, where I'm, I'm, I'm on some high horse of flyness. Uh, I got to move. Help me, Lord Jesus. Next point, which is a phenomenal point. Um, you know, we, we build through servant leadership. That's number one. It's number one. Servant leadership. That's number one. But, but then number two, we, the, the people of God rebuild through viewing what is being built as special and belonging to God. Look at verse, the latter part of verse three. It says, they consecrated it and set as though some of the sheep gate. I like that. Consecrate means to set something aside for a unique task. Uh, 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 it's a form of the word kadosh, which means holy. Uh, 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 and, and, and this form here, consecrating, means that they, they, they I don't know if they, they, they threw oil on it or blood on it, but they consecrated this gate as a unique gate. And I'll get back later. Oh, it's beautiful significance of this gate when we get back to it later. But I like the fact that, that, that they're pointing to the fact that, God, this entire project is set aside for a unique task for you, number one, but then number two, it belongs to you. Now, you got to have both of those together. Because when something's set aside for a unique task or being special, what, what, what happens is, is when you revel in something you're doing under God and through God as special, you begin to worship the thing that God did through you. So therefore, the consecration is not just to say this is special. It also is to point to the fact that the work belongs to him. Because you, if, you, if you're reminded that it's special, I wish I had help, but, but that it's also set aside for him, it'll continuously remind you of how special it is. But, oh, this belongs to you. So I'm going to honor you and worship you. Because what, you, what they would see is they would smell the oil on it. I put some oil on my son's head the other night because I felt some demonic activity in my house. And I'm crazy. I went and got my oil, shook it up, and started smearing their foreheads. And I like the fact that, that, that when they got uh, later on in the day, they came over to me, and I could still smell the sandalwood on their foreheads. And, and, and what it reminded me, I said, Dag, I thought that was gone. But what was interesting and coming back and me still smelling it on them, it reminded me that God, that God had me smear that on them to remind them that that, that, that that thing had happened. In the same way with this door, whenever they see the blood on the gate, I wish I had some help. Whenever they saw the oil on the gate, uh, what they would do is they say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this, this is God's. This is, this is a special gate, but, but, oh, yeah, this is God. Every now and then, God has to remind you while you're serving him that, 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 that it's special, but, 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 but the thing that makes it special is that it's his. And, but, 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 but don't stop there. Jesus was enacted in this sanctifying, consecrating ministry. Because in John chapter 17 is this high priestly prayer. And he goes, on, he goes as the high priest before the living God on behalf of the people of God. And what he begins to do is he begins to pray. And he begins to pray a consecrating prayer for the people that we would be in the world but not of the world. So in other words, he's saying you're special, but don't get big-headed. You're his. Because verse 3 says, verse 3 says, this is eternal life, that you would know God and his only son whom he sent. That's being his, and that's relationship. And so the, the, this, this idea, this consecrating philosophy it, it is a very, very important thing that we recognize and, and utilize everything to never forget uh, what it's there for. Because being special means you treat it right. Uh, recognizing that it is is that you worship him for providing it. And that is why we do what we do. It's a very, very important tenet. As we look at this next point, I got to move. Next point, God rebuilds through unity among different types of people. 
God rebuilds through unity of different types of people. I'm, I, I want you to look at some verses. Look at verse 1. It says, high priest, priest. That's the spiritual leaders. Look at verse 8. It says, perfumers and goldsmiths. Verse 32 and 31 talks about the merchants and the perfumers. When you look in verses like verse 9, 12, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, you see the rulers, which points to the politicians. When you look at verse 12, he and his daughters, talking about Shalom, Shalom, he and his daughters building. And then you look up in verse 28, you look at um, the neighbors, the cats going outside his crib and building. This is interesting, these categories. Because the first category of people that you see building are the spiritual leaders. Now, this points to the spiritual leaders' role in rebuilding and their role that they would play in the city was to restore spiritual vitality and order to the city. That's beautiful. That, that, that's number one. Uh, 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 um, but then we got the business owners. This, I, I like this. Because these are regular old people on this. You got the perfumers. You know what I'm saying? Like when you walk up in Macy's and people's like, you want, you want, you want some of this? But, but what they did, though, is they weren't just perfumers that sold perfume. They created perfume. And so, and so, and so they, 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 were, they were their own manufacturers within the city. Now, what would the merchants do? The merchants, the merchants, the perfumers, and the goldsmiths, they were, they were part of, the merchants were more so the people who sold produce and sold uh, animals and sold all types of items. And then you see uh, uh, of the goldsmiths who make sure folk have some gold on every now and then. Amen. And so uh, they restored the economy. I like that. Like that, that they're on the walk. And, and then you got the politicians. They restore structure, social order and structure to the community, the rulers of this half district of Mizpah. You see the guy, the half district of Jerusalem, right? Then you see families, he and his daughters. Let's walk through this a little bit. Can I walk through this for a second? The, the, business, the business owners, it's very important that in the rebuilding of a city that there are some people that by faith start businesses. Where do I see this in this text? Well, did you see the shape that Jerusalem was in based on chapter 1, verse 3? Now, why in the world would these business owners go to a broken down, trash-ridden, dirty city to establish businesses? Oh, it's in the Bible, ain't it? And guess what? They know Jesus. They're transformed by Yahwehistic philosophy of life. And so their entrepreneurial practices reflected their philosophy of Tanakh. And because it reflected their philosophy of Tanakh, they can incarnate into the context and begin to develop the economy to provide jobs, but to also develop common ground so that the people of God have an opportunity to engage lost people with the gospel. See, that's what we need at Epiphany Fellowship. We need, so I believe God right now, and I'm going to pray it, that God will provide through some of y'all college students and some of y'all non-college students that you would become business owners that you would go over there across from the Kingdom Hall up, on, up in Strawberry Mansion, where the, the, the East Gate Inn used to be there, and it's for sale, and it's in ruins, and that you would see more there than those ruins. I wish you would go down in the Diamond World, down all the way on the other side of 25th Street, and see the factories down there, or up on Allegheny, 20th and Allegheny, on the other side of Deliverance Church, and see a multiplicity of those buildings. I wish you'd go around the corner on Susquehanna, in between 16th Street and 19th Street, and look at all of those facilities down there that are torn up and broken down, and, and, and begin to say, how can I envision Shalom through being a merchant? 
Well, what, what can I do to uproot the ruins? It's interesting. God says, this is the fast that I desire. And he begins to walk through, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. But, in, but, but oh, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. We got to wait. We got to wait. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting in my rhythmic preaching mode. Help me, Lord, because I'm getting excited. But I want some of y'all, I want, I, want, I, want, I want y'all, by Jesus' name, to put your hand to the plow by seeing your talents, not your spiritual gifts here. We're not talking about spiritual gifts here. We believe in them. But here and now we're talking about talents, that you would maximize your talents for kingdom mission. Can, can, can you imagine the spiritual leader on the wall, the priest, standing beside the business owner? Standing beside the mayor, standing beside Shaquita. But that's what's happening in the passage. And they're all working together to rebuild the city so that God would have a tabernacling position through the people to show him off. And so some of y'all got to get y'all faith up. I'm going to be on this for about three minutes. Y'all need to get your faith up because some of you have already talked yourself out of God using you for some stuff. Some of you are fearful right now under the sound of my voice. And God wants you to step out on him, not on all faith. Don't ever step out on faith because that's all you'll have. But you, you take your faith on him because he's the object of your faith, not your faith. And you step out on him and you begin to th- think through it and you begin to play, pray through it and you begin to struggle through it and you begin to work through it. Now, make sure you got the gift, though. Don't be just wanting to be a business because you're watching MTV and VH1 and everybody starting their own record label. And a bit. Now, now, let me just say this. There are more things to start business-wise than a record label. There's more things to start than a record. I wish I had... 9,000 people in here right now. I want somebody to start something else. Hey, God, I feel God right now. I, I, I want you to begin. St- we ain't got enough supermarkets around here. Why don't you own a supermarket? I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Well, why don't, why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't you? Start, don't, please start a, a, start, a, start a place to fix salads. If I see one more hoagie pizza steak, take my heart away, high blood pressure, I see you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We, we need builders. We need people that seek the peace of the city. That's what this is written for. It's written for you. It's written for you to do more than be receiver. Nobody moves to Philly. Nobody says, oh, I really want to live in Philly. Oh, man, that's the promised land. Wow. But that's, that, that's not what they were saying about Jerusalem in this passage either. But people who were called know where God sends them. And they see beyond the ruins with redemptive eyes through the gospel. And they begin to say, God, and, you, and see, I'm crazy. I walk the streets and lay hands on stuff. I know y'all getting scared. Oh, look at Pastor. I'm, yes, I am. I'm going to go to the wall. Listen, before we got to, let me tell y'all a story. I'm going to preach a little long today. Um, we laid hands, I looked up at this building, and we laid hands on the bricks on the side, right on the 17th Street side. And I put my, I said, God, I know we ain't even got 20 people. I said, but it'd be interesting if you wanted this to be the place that you would send missionaries to the world from. And with tears rolling down my face and the wind freezing it up like icicles. I said, God, in Jesus' name, 
use me beyond my leadership ability and secure this for your name. In Jesus' name, amen. And where you sitting at? Where you sitting at? It wasn't me. It was God who already had planned to give it, but he used prayer to unleash what he already wanted to give. God is sitting on stuff for his people that he wants to do for his name. Not to exalt you. Remember, servant leadership. But he's waiting, and there are ruins around here that has his name on it that he wants to show through your hands to do. And I wish somebody would receive it today. Because God is at work in this church community. And, 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 and he wants to exalt his name through this. And then we see further in the past, I got to keep going. You see, the political leaders, what if we had some godly politicians that, that had the holy doggone ghost and were filled with, weren't drunk with wine, but filled with the Holy Spirit, and that you were hard-pressed to find a scandal on them because they were so held accountable to God and his people that the barriers of morality pushed away evil so that it was difficult to find anything on them. And that they were walking in the city and not saying I'm perfect and I'm better than anybody, but I'm coming here in the name of the Lord. We need some politicians that can say, I am here based on Romans 13, chapter 1, that I'm placed here for God. And then we need churches to stop talking about I'm Democratic and I'm Republican. We need to be theocratic and go over to 1 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and begin to pray on behalf of our leaders. That's number one. I know I'm off track, but stay with me. And I'm not. I'm on the text. For Titus chapter 3, verses 1 says, and serve your leaders. Not talking about church leaders there. It's talking about civic leaders. Then in verses 5 through 7, it gives the gospel as the motivational reason because of regeneration of God redeeming through political leadership. It's in the Bible. And so, and so we see the politicians have a Yahwehistic philosophy of life. That means you shouldn't be scared. So start with God. Some of you, oh, God, I wish I had time. I got I to move. But I, I want some of y'all, some of y'all, I've already talked to some of y'all. And y'all have, y'all are afraid. Because some of y'all are afraid to grow up. You're afraid of adulthood. And so having, I'm going to say this, an hourly job is safe for you. Because you can find your safety in that place. But many of you are, God is going to begin to move you past that. And he is going to open doors, but he's not going to open any of those doors until you move out on them. Um, God never starts open. He doesn't ever start anything without faith. Now, I'm not calling, now, I'm not talking about the irresponsible one. You always on some starting something. Because you don't want the job. You need the hourly job. The person on the hourly job need to go, y'all need to switch. <laughs> By faith, get a job full time. Amen. But then I thought, I looked at the families here. And in this passage, he said he and his daughters were there. And then you look out in verse 28, and money came out of his house. Right outside of his house and built the walls right outside of his house. We need this neighborhood built from the inside out. So we need families built. We need godly men, 
built. You can't have families without godly men. We understand that we got a lot of single moms here. We understand that we're not knocking you. But as we look at, at, at God's full plan, we want to empower and strengthen you. But then we also want biblical families because families help restore the organic community and neighborhood life of a city. And, and there can't be a viable, healthy city without family. When you look in this passage and you see him building with his daughter, can you imagine uh, 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 some of the kids on the playground building? But the reason why we have that there is so that some of y'all can be funny and hang out there sometimes and build relationships with them. Not, not, not paying attention to who's cussing them out. And God used you as a redemptive agent in their lives. I got to move. I've got to move. Oh, last, last, a couple last points, and then I'm out. God rebuilds through us knowing what to do from scratch and what needs to be strengthened. <laughs> Look at verse 3. It says, and Hassanan build. But then if you go to verse 7, it says repair. Verse 8 says repair, restore. Verse 9 says repair. I'm not going to go through all of them. Verse 10 says repair. Verse 11 says repair. Verse 12 says repair. Verse 13 says rebuild. Verse 14 says rebuild. I mean, it's all the way through the passage. You see them rebuilding and them being next to each other. You see in verse 15, rebuild. You see verse 16, repair. You see verse 17, repair. You see verse 18, repaired. You see verse 920, repaired. You see, oh, my God, repair. It's interesting that build is used once or twice, but repair goes all the way through. You know, what's this is interesting is Nehemiah got there in his awareness, and he recognized that wasn't as much broken down as he thought. And instead of reinventing the wheel, he can go in where God was already at work. Now, now what, what we need to begin doing, Christians, is we need to begin to know what to start from scratch and what to repair and rebuild. And there are parts of this neighborhood that need repair, not necessarily rebuilding. You know, people always ask, why Epiphany Fellowship needs to start a school. I, I, I understand that. I understand that. And, and we may do think about that in the future. Um, but, but, but it'll still have the general school system with issues. That's number one. But the, really, the system isn't the issue. It's families. So if you rebuild families, it'll change the system. Because the system will remain the same. But you're just inserting more sinners into the system and making a better looking system. And you're using a system to manage sinners, us. And so you need the gospel to transform people. And peop God will use through the spirit to raise up people to bring a redeemed system. I wish I had some help. And so they repaired the walls in different places. And so I'm praying that we would learn how to repair and work with the neighborhood and not just for the neighborhood um, so, that, so that our community can take ownership for our issues. But I'm talking about from a biblical standpoint, not just some type of, of, uh, of uh, social service effort by itself. Isaiah 58.12 <laughs> says, And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. And you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. Ain't that interesting? That the foundations has to do with people. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. You know, the Bible teaches block smarts. And here we see the restorer of the streets being people being transformed by God. Anyway, I'll end on this. Because it's so important that we understand the fact that if we do these works, without the power of the gospel, it won't work. So my last point is, 
the gospel sets the tone for the city. Go back to verse 1. It says, And Eliashub the high priest rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. This is beautiful. The sheep gate was right at the northernmost tip. That's interesting that it was the highest point in Jerusalem. And the sheep gate was where the sacrifices were brought into the city because the temple was at the top right-hand corner. It was at the northeastern section of the city. And so what was interesting, this is beautiful, y'all, is that the sheep would come in that way. And that was the first gate being built. That was the most primary gate being built. And if you look, it didn't have bolts on it. It didn't have a lot of things built on it because it probably derived its name because of it was the sacrifices that were brought in for the temple. And it speaks of Christ's sacrifice, ultimately points to his sacrifice on the cross. And this was the first gate repaired for without the sacrifice, there could be no salvation. But note, this commentator says that the sheep gate had no locks on it. It was the only unlocked door around the city. Or bars, for the door to salvation is ever open to the sinner. This is beautiful. It's that we need to place up as central as the, the gospel, as that thing in which if, it, if souls aren't transformed, if we build buildings and we start open schools and we do food pantries and we help people get loyals and we do crisis pregnancy centers and we have technology institutes and cafes and businesses and all of these different things, but there is no gospel. It's a godless Babylonian city. But with the gospel, it's pointing to the ultimate Jerusalem that will come down from heaven and that Jesus Christ will have the Father's presence, which will be God's tabernacle among men. And right now, we are to be sneak previews and trailers for that reality. And so will you be a gospel witness where you live and dwell in Philadelphia? Will you take responsibility to be the sheep gate to Philly? Will you build the sheep gate today? Will you recognize that it sets the tone? And it's interesting, they didn't consecrate the other gates, they just consecrated one. Because when you consecrated that one gate, it cleaned the whole wall off. That's the power of the gospel. <laughs> Once the gospel cleanses something, it cleans the whole thing, not just a part of it. And so I pray that God will grace us to be builders for his namesake. Father, pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would give us a sense of responsibility in this city. Lord God, I, I, I want everybody to be encouraged here today. And I want them to hope. I want to pray, God, Romans 15 over your people. Lord, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. God, let each of us please his neighbor for the good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Lord God, help us to bring a hermeneutic of hope to Philly. And that people may see the hope of transformation through the transforming power of the gospel. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.